In Australia, Origin sides have been named. In the UK, Magic Round is complete. And meanwhile in Greece, they're lobbying their government for a home game leading to the World Cup. And we will leak what is possibly the most important announcement in European Rugby League history. I'm Michael Carboni. These topics and so much more on episode 25 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Chasing Kangaroos. And uh, with my regular co-host Charlie and Jake away, I am continuing on with another co-host for you this week. And I have a very special treat for you all tonight. I'm joined by a freelance journalist from the UK. He's based out just outside of London. And he's the author of No Helmets Required, the remarkable story of the American All-Stars Rugby League team, which toured Australia, New Zealand and France all the way back in, 19, in the 1950s. Gavin Willisey, welcome to the show, mate. How are you? I'm very well, Michael. Thanks very much for having me on. Mate, it's my pleasure. And thanks for joining me as a co-host tonight. Uh, you wrote, you were very kind to mention us in an article in The Guardian a little while ago when I had Orazio Dardo on from the Italian Rugby League. And uh, we've, we've sort of had some little chats ever since. So it's, it's just been great getting to know you. And yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. So, mate, um, for, for any of the listeners out there who, who might not know who you are, um, give us your two-sentence sort of origin story, where you come from, what you do. My- Background is in in football or, or, or soccer, um, yep. and our rugby league was just something in on the on the side for me. Um, that uh, over the last twenty years, um, I'm, I'm in my late forties now, but over the last twenty years, it's gone from being something I was vaguely interested in to something I'm totally obsessed by. Well, um, and uh, I think it's it's the sort of enthusiasm of the of the uh the convert that religious convert um yeah because i i'm not in a rugby league area uh but i i've got teams within 30 minutes of, of where i live so i can watch and obviously a uh, huge amount on tv and i've just gradually gone from writing um a little bit about rugby league to uh becoming a um, a blog, having a blog on the guardian website as you say know how it's required writing my uh my my book about the American All-Stars, um, which you've mentioned. I uh, originally did a book on the history of Scotland Rugby League, Rugby League oh, Bravehearts, wow. yep. uh, a long time ago. Um, and uh, I've written for all of the uh, league papers and magazines over here in the UK. So basically um, just become uh, an, a, an obsessed fan and writer. We're certainly glad that you're that you're here and 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 you know writing about rugby league to the capacity that you do. Now, anyone who's been following this podcast would understand that our aim is to show that there is more to league than the typical NRL Super League related topics that you sort of hear about on all the other rugby league podcasts that that our listeners might listen to. And there's going to be plenty of that sort of stuff tonight. But look, there's been some mainstream news on both sides of the world, uh, which we can't ignore. So Magic Round over in your your neck of the woods. Uh, Gavin and State of Origin Game One squads have been announced over here in the NRL. So, mate, why don't we start with uh, some of the mainstream st- stream stuff? We'll touch on it, and uh, then we can keep going from there. What do you think? Okay, that sounds good. 
I'm keen to get your insights into the Super League's Magic Round, which which just completed over the weekend. And I felt like all I heard from over here was negativity leading up to the event over in Anfield in Liverpool. So in the end, do you think all of this was justified? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, all you hear from British Rugby League usually is negativity. <laughs> I should think it's, it's our, our um, factory setting. Um, you've got to put it into some context that this is, I think, the, the, something like the 12th year of this or yep. maybe even more. So unlike the NRL, uh, we've been doing it for a long time and and they've, they've done different versions of it. There was a lot of negativity because the four previous years had been in Newcastle and it had been extremely successful. They've got the biggest crowds there. Yep. Um, however, the crowds still only added up to roughly the same number of people that would go to watch a normal round. Yep. Uh, so it, it, it wasn't a, a incredible attendances. Uh, they were getting roughly 60,000 people across the two days um, for uh, six games. So it was seven games, became six games. Um, and the uh, the number, when they went for four years back to the same city, the number of people going gradually started to tail off a bit because obviously yep. you don't want to go back every single year. Yeah, understandably. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the venue, Newcastle, was fantastic. The stadium's brilliant. It's right in the middle of the city centre. Literally, you can walk out of the stadium and be in a, a bar or a restaurant or a shop in, within five minutes or less than two minutes, probably. Uh, it's a bit like um, Suncor, really. Uh, but the um, the problem... The problem was that they thought if it, Newcastle was only two hours, roughly two to three hours away from most of the clubs. So uh, you could go and stay for the weekend or you could just go there and, and, and come home again. But as fewer yep. people were going, they started to think, do we need to move it around again? Because it had been in Cardiff and it had been in uh, Manchester for one year uh, and Edinburgh a couple of times. And then it, the question of what is the point of magic? Is the point of it to attract a new audience, in which case we need to go to cities that are outside of where rugby leagues normally played? So that was Cardiff and Newcastle or and Edinburgh. Or, or do we take it to just a great venue that everybody wants to go to for a day out? And that was Manchester City Stadium um, and, and this year Liverpool. So the negativity was understandable because people didn't want to move it from Newcastle and also thought, why are we going to Liverpool when it's mm. in Liverpool's half an hour away from half of the clubs in Super League. Yeah. It's just like playing in a, it'd be like playing it in a stadium in Sydney that rugby league doesn't normally use. That, that okay. would be a similar, that would be a similar uh, example. Um, but in the end, the crowds have turned out. I think it's going to be, I didn't see the final total yesterday, but the attendance isn't going to be far off the norm, um, which considering yeah, I think how... It was, uh, uh, I think it was about 56, 57 Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, so it's there or thereabouts. And, and, and given the negativity beforehand, that was a pleasant surprise. And, and nearly everyone who went, from what I've seen, um, their feedback was very positive. There were some teething problems, Um uh, things like I think the seats in, in some of the stands there's not much leg room and, and designed for you being there for t two hours, not six hours. Yeah. Um, but it sounded like it wasn't a disaster, and and 
Liverpool Council, I think, paid a lot of money to host it. So financially, I think it will have been okay. Yeah. Uh, but the questions still remain, and I'm sure the NRL will have these eventually. What's the point of it? Is yeah. It just is it just an event to gain attention and give everybody uh, an enjoyable day out in the calendar, or is it to try and attract thousands of new fans? Um, and I think uh, the Super League clubs need to decide what's what are they trying to achieve. Yeah, you're right. And I guess when it was in Newcastle, there was a lot of there was a massive push to getting a club sort of off the ground there. And the Newcastle Thunder have been quite successful down yes, in League right. One yeah, and, and yeah. making their way up. So, you know, if that was the goal, then that was certainly achieved. If making if making a quick dollar was the goal this year, then perhaps, as you say, Liverpool Council paid a lot of money uh, to host the round. So maybe if that's the goal, then then it was a success. So I guess you're right. We have to figure out what the goal is and, and sort of go from there and work towards that. Uh, do you think Liverpool was the right choice? And if not, like, where would you take it next time? Well, I don't think Liverpool was a great choice in that very few people have actually stayed over because, yeah. um, you know, other than Catalan, the furthest clubs were coming from Hull and you can get a train there in probably two, two and a half hours across. Um, I would tweak magic. My my ideas for magic would be to um, turn it into a, an on the road round. And I'd say I'd take, I'd, I'd divide it up and have three double headers. Uh, so I'd, I'd have um, two games going on in say uh, Newcastle. So take yep. a couple of like leads to Newcastle and have two games there on, on the Saturday. It's, it's a bank holiday, you see, so it's a three day week. Oh, weekend cool. so you could take two to newcastle two games uh down into the midlands say to, to coventry or nottingham somewhere like that and and maybe two to cardiff um which we we had great magic weekends at cardiff um or you know it, it almost doesn't matter where the venues are but i'd, I'd make more of it instead of tr- taking everybody to one place i'd say well let's let's hit three cities in a weekend rather than one. It's not a bad idea. And I guess the idea does need tweaking, doesn't it? Because as you say, it's been going on for a decade or so now over in the UK. So you don't want the idea to get, get stale. And if you sort of split it up, it doesn't need to be at a massive, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 seat stadium, because at the end of the day, they're getting crowds of 25K or 30K each day. So you yeah. can have it at a at a smaller 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 stadium, say in, in Nottingham or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so Coven- Coventry's and, about thirty thousand, I think. So it would look it would look full. That would be sensational. Yeah. Double double header, and yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea, mate. So it's pretty good. It, I'm sure the Super League are open to ideas like that. And and look, it's probably been a good year for the Super League. You pro- probably agree. They've, they're reporting record crowds and viewing figures. And I think over the weekend, Super League and Betfred announced. Um, an extension to their sponsorship deal, which is the biggest in in the history of the sport over there. So, good things for for Super League. And would you agree that things are improving? Or yeah, I think you know, it's, it, it's been it's been a really good season so far. Um, but uh, there's there's often a a case of um, exaggeration and generalisation. So last year, people started saying that Super League was was really um, plateauing and uh, there weren't any exciting games, there weren't any great teams, all this sort of thing. 
Um, and that negativity grew and grew and the crowds were going down. And the, but the more, you yeah. say, the more you say something's no good, <laughs> the more people think, oh, that's no good. I'm not going to go to it. Um, and, and now that it's come full circle and, and there's a lot of media hype about things. So I think probably not the big change from last year to this year. It's, it's all conceptual. Um, we have an issue over here, I think, if, if something is uh, plateauing we think it's a negative and, and want, want it to grow the whole time. So if, if a club's getting the same sort of attendances that they've had for the last 10 years, yeah. it, it becomes a negative rather than saying, oh, that's okay. That's the, they're the crowds we get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's really funny you say all that because it's good to get an insight from someone over there because um, believe it or not, the same thing happens over here in Australia. You know, people are very quick to bag out the NRL and, and say that, you know, everything's down. But in actual reality, like crowds are up, uh, TV figures are like uh, rugby league games are the highest rating shows in Australia. If, 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 maybe... have, if having sort of eight out of the top 10 TV audiences is uh, is on the down. I think British Rugby League would love to be on the, on the down. <laughs> it's so true. And I, I think we've got it good over here. And it's certainly, in my opinion, it is certainly getting better. So it's good to hear that things are sort of getting positive over in the Super League, whether it's, you know, simply from a media point of view or, or all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, so yeah. that's fantastic. Mate, why don't we move on to um to another mainstream topic before we get into our sort of grow the game international sort of topics for the night. But uh, State of Origin sides were named for game one in Brisbane uh, and it's about a week away. Both squads were named in the last 24 hours at the time of this recording. And again, we won't deep dive too much into this as I'm sure our, our listeners are going to be bombarded with State of Origin talk on all the NRL podcasts that they listen to during the week. So we'll just sort of go over it. Um, I'm really interested to hear, so over in the UK, do you guys get much press about Origin? Have you seen the squads? Like, what's, what, what, what happens over there? Uh, we, it's, uh, it's live on, on Sky here. Um, so we've, always, we've had the games live for a long time. And they, yeah. get, they get good viewing figures. Uh, they're on in the morning, obviously. So most people are at work. Yeah. Some of us have managed to arrange our diaries around it. Um, <laughs> but it's, I think a lot of rugby league fans here will do their utmost to see it because we just... Would it's almost like a dream to see our sport presented in the way that it is in state of origin. Now, I think if you watch it with a cynical head, you think, "Oh, it's it's all hype and bombast and it's ridiculously yeah. over the top," which it is. But on the other hand, um, just to see it, uh, the crowds and the hype and the and the atmosphere, it's it's fantastic. Um, and, and normally, the, the standard is extremely high, even if the game's not the most entertaining. True. Uh, so well, I think the one thing that most British fans find difficult to understand uh, is Australia's opinion that origin is the pinnacle. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 that just doesn't stand up to anything, in my opinion. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. I don't, how can being in the best uh, 34 players stand up. Uh, how, how can that be better than being in the best 17 players? You know, it, into, playing for Australia has to be more of an achievement than playing Origin, but yep. it, it's not presented like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess the I guess you know that's and I agree. Like, and it's good to see some of the Tongan boys coming out recently and saying that the pinnacle for them is playing for Tonga. Uh, I think that's this is really the start of something, but uh, something special in that regard. But I guess for so long the Kangaroos have been so dominant that the only competition we've had is each other ourselves, uh, and that's where you know this whole origin state against state, mate against mate. There's no rival rivalry quite like it. And it's just grown this extra level. And yeah. it's sort of been to the detriment of our game as well, I believe. And I could talk about this all night with you. But the fact that we are have been confined to New South Wales and Queensland, it makes it difficult for juniors coming through for the Melbourne Storm that were born in, in Victoria or, you know, you know, players that might want to have a go from Perth because all of a sudden if the pinnacle is state of origin, then what place do they have in the game? So it's made, us, it's made it very hard for us to expand our borders within Australia. And not only that, as you say, it's sort of made things difficult on the international scene as well. And only now with, you know, the likes of Andrew Fafida and, and um, Tavita Pangai um, and Jason Tamalolo, you know, these guys are standing up and saying, hey, I'd rather play, I'd rather play for Tonga than for New South Wales or for Queensland or for New Zealand. And, um, and it's really starting to make a difference. I, I think we're going to start to see, hopefully, more and more Islander Islander boys, especially, uh, doing this, and you know, you can you can be critical and say that, uh, or cynical and say that Tavita Pangai probably turned his back on New South Wales because he thought he wasn't going to get picked. But I think in the long run, he's he's tonging it hard, and and it's good to see. It, it, I was going to keep this for a golden point, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm very it. interested uh, seeing you know the, in the in the teams. It's, um, there's several players who played internationally for other countries in there. So yeah. you know, Tedesco, yeah. Vaughan and Frizzell, yep. uh, Kafusi, Maguire, Napa, Fafita. That's just look at a glance. There's probably more. Yeah. Um, well, there's Payne, ha- Payne Haas as well. So he's the face of, I guess, Asian heritage rugby league. He's Filipino background. Has he played so, for anyone yeah. else yet, though? I'm not sure if I he's represented he the played, Philippines, no. but I, I don't think he has. Yeah, you could no. be right. There. But... Um, you, can, you know, you can There's nothing in the rules to say you can't play Origin and play... Uh, for a tier two nation, um, correct, and because uh, that was that's been the case for years, um, but it needed to be clarified by the NRL because I was I was involved with Scotland. I should have yeah. said that at the beginning. I was I've been <laughs> so I was Scotland's uh, volunteer media officer on and off for about fifteen years. And when oh, awesome! So we were trying to get Lachlan Coote on board, and uh, he was very reluctant. Yeah, uh, because he feared that um, playing for Scotland would would stop him playing uh, Origin. Um, so it wasn't until the NRL actually came out and um, reiterated that, in fact, yes, I mean it was there in black and white on the rules. Um, yep, but they actually said yes, you can play Origin um, and not. Uh, have said it's your uh, I forget the phrase but uh, you you don't have to be available for Australia to play Origin yeah that that became a lot clearer with Tavita Pangai at the start of the year as well but you're right and I think a lot of um, look I think um, Lachlan Coote might be a good chance for Scotland or Great Britain anyway nowadays especially especially with him doing so well over for St Helens but I think it it seems to me that until now it's been more the players, when they're a little bit younger, before they're really a chance for the Kangaroos, they're opting to play for their heritage nation. So James Tedesco played for Italy when he was younger. Um, 
uh, Tyson Frizzell playing for Wales yeah. before he sort of broke the squad. Uh, so you, you do see that, and you even look now at, at a guy like uh, Bronson Sherry. He plays for the Cronulla Sharks, and he's represented Malta at the Emerging Nations. He's going to be playing for Australia one day. He just scored three tries against the Dragons on the weekend. Absolute epic performance. But it's good to see some of these guys. It would be nice to see some of these guys sort of, you know, represent their heritage longer into their career as well. And I think it's different with the with the with the Pacific Islander boys because they're still very they have a very strong allegiance to their heritage. Even though you know Tavita Pangai Junior was born in Newcastle. He's still very much Tongan, you know, and he'll go back to his family and they'll have their, their very much, um, they live their culture every day. And there's just something different about that. Whereas if you're maybe have Scottish heritage, but you, you live in Australia, you'd consider yourself Australian. But if you're, yeah, of I, know, I, know, yeah. I know what you mean. I think you, you've got to take each one individually. I, I saw um, players that were play that played for Scotland that, hardly knew or didn't even know till a couple of weeks beforehand that they were yeah. eligible for Scotland because they discovered somebody was born, uh, you know, grandparent was born in Scotland. Um, yeah. And then others that had been brought up in Australia or England uh, or New Zealand, but had been brought up to know that they were Scottish and to have celebrated um, Scottish festivals and all that sort of thing. So yeah. each each case is individual. But I am interested in the fact that Fafita is in the Queensland squad it's funny that we've here we are talking about state of origin sides and we've managed to get it uh the topic all about international rugby league (laughs) which is which is what this show is all about all right well let's get on to some international news so topic number three um the hashtag many of you of our listeners may have seen the hashtag let greece play appearing on your social media channels over the weekend and this is after fresh concerns that the Greek rugby league side may not be able to play one of their upcoming World Cup qualifiers against Scotland, who you've just mentioned, uh, Gav, at home this November, due to an uncooperative Greek government. Now, plenty of people have been asking me this week, why is the government standing in the way of national glory for their rugby league team? And it's a good question. Uh, and for any of our longer-term listeners, we have spoken about this in greater detail back in Episode 5. But for newer listeners, I want to recap on the history of the issue and then maybe talk about what might happen next. And Gavin, how familiar are you with this story and, and what's actually happened or been uh, happening I'm, in Greece? I'm quite, um, quite on top of it because I'd, I'd followed it. I'd been kept in touch with what was going on through um, Danny Gazanjian, the Rugby League European Federation, uh, yep. is, a, is a friend. And uh, so I've known for a few years what's been going on uh, and then got up to date fully with it um, ahead of the Greece-Norway game in London, which I went to um, uh, last weekend, weekend before last. That's and, awesome. Uh, and talked to all of their guys there, so Terry Liberopoulos and um, and uh, Stuart McClelland there. So yep. I'm, I'm fairly, uh, unless something's happened this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we try and go through sort of the history of what's been going on for those who aren't aware of it. So believe it or not, I mean, this has nothing to do with rugby union. And normally when you hear about something like this happening around the world of rugby league, rugby union has their, their fingers in the pie somewhere, but it's got nothing to do with them. Um, and, and feel free to jump in whenever you like, Gav. But in 2015, the sport in Greece was run by a man named Anastasios Panitsidis, or, or Tarzos, as people call him. And he ran the Hellenic Rugby League Federation. 
And after about a year of questionable decisions, so including allegations of financial indiscretions, and we won't go too much further into that without, without knowing the details, but clubs and players signed a vote of no confidence in the Hellenic Rugby League, uh, or the Empire, as I'm going to call them, under experience, and under experienced referee George Stilianos, who's now the president of the Greek Rugby League Association, the unhappy happy clubs formed the, the Rebel Competition, or the Rebel Alliance, as I'm going to call them for the, for the purposes of this story. So the Rugby League uh, European Federation, they moved to mediate and try and resolve um, it, what's been, what happened between both parties, but a compromise could not be found. And the Empire, they, well, they were struggling for numbers. Uh, they had no teams. Their national side was made up of rugby union players who'd never played league before. They forfeited their Group C match against Malta, and they got smacked by Spain 76-4. to So meanwhile, the, the Rebel Alliance, or the Greek Rugby League Association, well, their competition is growing. And it's alleged that uh, Panacetus, with his strong government ties, is behind a campaign to deter venues from hosting Rebel Alliance matches. Now, games were played in secret, and most famously, you may have heard about this one, Gav, but there was a midnight game between the Attica Rhinos and the Rhodes Knights in late 2015. <laughs> so it was the, the latest game of rugby league, or maybe the earliest, depending on what time you get up in the morning. But this game happened at midnight. I think the, the full-time siren went at about two, two o'clock in the morning. Fairly normal time for the Greeks, so I think they, <laughs> they do live a late lifestyle. <laughs> that would be maybe the perfect time slot for a Greek rugby league match. You yeah. But um, April 2016, so the Rugby League European Federation, they formally expelled uh, the Hellen- Hellenic rugby, rugby League, citing a lack of transparency and collaboration. And by 2017, the Greek Rugby League Association were given official recognition from the RLEF as the governing body of rugby league in Greece. But at the same time, Tarzos Panitsidis, he'd just become the president of the Hellenic Federation of Pentathlon, uh, of all things. And he persuaded authorities in Greece to move the sport of rugby league under the jurisdiction of Pentathlon. So this is when it starts to get really messy. Uh, And things are nasty between both factions. And in 2018... This is the other match where police show up and shut down a Balkan Super League game between the Attica Rhinos again, and this time they were facing Serbian side Redniki Nis. Um, so later that year, Greece hosted a qualifier against Malta uh, for the World Cup. And both teams met at a rendezvous point and were driven <laughs> to a secret location by bus. Uh, Greece won the match 60-4 to in secret, and uh, tensions lead us to where we are today. So, mate, as we know, Greece defeated Norway last week to pre- progress to the next round of World Cup, and you were there. Yeah, well, I was, yeah, along with uh, a few hundred other uh, London-based Greeks and Norwegians. And what was it like? What was the experience? What was the atmosphere? What it was fun. It was fun. It was a really uh, upbeat atmosphere. Um, it was strange just hearing people uh, speaking their native tongue in a, a in a, a north london suburb um at a, a sports center uh, yeah. uh but um it was it was quite emotional actually when you're hearing people cheering on their teams in in norwegian and greek and realize what it yeah, means wow. to them uh greece were greece had a spine of heritage players so yep. they literally Fullback hookers, uh, halfback, and loose forward, and those four, especially three of them, were just too good. They were they were a class above uh, pretty much everyone else on the pitch, and yeah. they uh, and they made all the difference. 
they they were just too quick. Um, Peter Mamazoulis, the, yeah. the young halfback from Southampton, he was uh, sorry, the hooker. He he was hooker, outstanding. Yep. Yeah, scored four tries. The fullback uh, Terry Constantino got a couple of tries. He he was pretty devastating. Um, but they had also had some great forwards. Uh, Greece Stefanos Bastas, who is an interesting story, and he came over to England to try his luck, um, and is now. With Doncaster Club in League in League One, um, yep. so he was very impressive. The other the other uh, forward, the other prop was, was good as well. Um, and Norway were they were thirty two nil down, I think it was at half time, and and a bit yeah. blow, blown away basically. Uh, they would they would have most of the field position, and then Greece would break away and score. And it just happened over yeah. and over and over. But Norway didn't have the skill or the speeds to threaten to score. Um, and then second half, with the game gone, they came out really more positive. Um, didn't think about things too much, just did it. Uh, and they they really got back into the game. And they, as I think you said last week, they won the second half on points. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah. And some real talents came out in the first half. It was their forwards. That I was impressed by and in the second half, the, uh, the wingers and, um, there's a, a center as well that impressed a lot of people. So, uh, they, they all, everybody came off happy, I think. And, you know, at the function afterwards, everybody was, was smiling. Very interesting makeups of the teams. The, the, the Greeks were, the whole squad were Greek born and bred other than these four. Um, yeah import like heritage players uh and four is the most you can have yeah norway were from all over the world but um all of them i think all of them uh they're all except one there was one who um who lives in australia but all the rest of them were uh norwegian residents and had been there for seven eight nine ten years so yep. very very different makeup of the squads very interesting and uh, it's good to see it's good to hear firsthand from someone that was there. So, you know, I was watching it on my uh, small screen and uh, trying to trying to make it all out. But just good to – there seemed to be a real atmosphere and vibe despite the fact that there was only a few hundred people there. But really seemed to be – really seemed amazing to me. And so back to, I guess, the, the situation in Greece now. So they've qualified yeah. for the next stage of World Cup and now they're facing the possibility that, you know, if they play a home game against Scotland – that the game's going to get shut down. And what an embarrassment that would be for not only Greek Rugby League, but for, for Rugby League around the world. How, how real a threat do you think this is? Well, well, from talking to uh, RLIF officials and yep. the Greek guys afterwards, um, and it was one of the main topics of conversation, as you'd imagine. Of course, um, yeah. Without breaking any confidences I, I think it would be fair to say that at the, if if the game was in the next month it wouldn't be taking place in Greece yeah uh, they literally they the fra- phrases being said were things like we can't risk it it's just it's yeah. just far too much of a, a risk to take a team any team from overseas uh, to Greece because all it would need is one person to uh to to ruin if you think about any event one person can ruin it <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so if uh mr P- panzadis uh 
Pantazidis rather, if Mr. Pantazidis uh, had um, influenced somebody sufficiently, the game could be ruined. You know, you only need yep. someone to refuse to open the gates or That's turn right. the floodlights off or, or anything like that. Um, so at the moment, I think the plan will be to negotiate or uh, discuss with Scotland alternative venues. Um, yep. Yep. I, th- if I had to guess now, I would predict that the game will take place in England. Yep. Um, yeah. Because, uh, as the Greeks said, once they've said they can't host it, it's Scotland's prerogative to play in Scotland. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's a secret to say playing international games can actually cost some some countries they lose money on playing in international uh, yep. Yep. Um, so Scotland are already playing Russia at home yep. and rather than play two home games I would not be at all surprised if they said to the Greeks let's play on neutral territory in England Yeah, uh, nearly all of the Scotland team will be based in England um, and maybe they'll play it where there is a Greek population well, so I've it heard could be back at Scotland, yeah. you know, or it could be up in in Lancashire somewhere. I've heard very similar things to you. Um, one, uh, the biggest question that everyone asks me is, well, what other RFE or the European Federation and the RLIF doing about it? And really, they're doing all they can. You know, yes. they've written. Yes, they they've, are. They absolutely you know, are. They've written. They've they've and they have they've, been for about four or five years. Yeah, you know they're, and, they're the ones. They're the ones that needs to be remembered who, who pulled the previous uh, regime up and and uh, held them to account, and eventually right. gave them all the opportunities to improve their governance. And, um, and yeah, and they didn't, and and eventually yeah. did what they had to do, which was to to ban them. Well, that's um, right. And if and if the Greek government doesn't want to hear from the European Federation, they can't exactly go knock on their door and say, hey, let's talk about this rugby league match that we want to play. You know, it's it just sort of can't happen. So they're doing all they can. Um, I spoke to George Stilianos during the week. So he's the president of the Greek Rugby League Association. He pretty much told me the same thing. They're doing all they can. I actually read what he said uh, or a part of what he said to me. So Because I asked him what we could do sort of to help, what the fans or listeners can do to help. He said the best thing that we can do is continue to use the hashtag Let Greece Play. He said to direct these, and I'll, and I'll add these to our show notes, but he yeah. said direct these to at G underscore Vasilidis. Uh, he's a sports minister over in Greece. And at Julio Sinodinos. So he's a general secretary of sport. So I'll add those to the show notes. But these are the guys that signed off on the decision to place rugby league under the Pef- Pentathlon Federation. And they have the power to make it right. And that's, yeah. I'm glad you laughed at that. Modern pentathlon. pentathlon you know. <laughs> that's it's, a, it's a horse riding and shooting, isn't it? <laughs> and rugby league now too, apparently. Yeah. But uh, he said they have the power to make things right. He said, and look, he did stress that as long as we keep it civil, uh, this is something that could help and would be greatly appreciated from the Greek Rugby League Association. Uh, he said until then that they're going to be working on several other ideas, including a possible street protest outside of parliament. 
he said they're going to leave no stone unturned as they fight for the justice for rugby league. Um, I think I think George and the team need to be congratulated. He, he mentioned too that if it looked Plan B would probably be to play again in London or something like that, as yes. you've alluded to. Yeah. Um, so I think that's no no secret or yeah, surprise. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think there we'll have discussions about going back to London scholars and playing there again. Well, um, it makes sense. That's where the Greeks live. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> in the heart of the Greek population in in London. Um, so whilst there are only maybe two hundred. Greeks tops there this time um, you know with six months notice they could they could really build on that hey look if there's uh, if they want a big Greek population there's plenty in you know parts of Sydney Matraville Cogra <laughs> yes. plenty of Greeks so bring it out bring it out to Cogra Jubilee <laughs> Oval would definitely definitely have the Greek match <laughs> that would be awesome but look I think um, in summary I guess it's it's not ideal uh, the powers that be in rugby league are doing all they, that they can we can certainly help but I just want to once again congratulate George Stilianos and his team at the Greek Rugby League Association because I don't think there is a crew more passionate about building rugby league in their country. No one has faced what these guys have faced, yet here they are, potentially one win away uh, from their first World Cup berth. So I think um, the rugby league world is definitely behind Greece. Absolutely, yeah. Here, here to that. This episode of Chasing Kangaroos is brought to you by EverythingRugbyLeague.com and uh, I'll put up a link in the show notes of an old article from EverythingRugbyLeague.com which highlights everything that has happened in the lead up to what's been going on in Greece. So if you want to have a read of that, just for a little bit more context than what we spoke about, then it's uh, EverythingRugbyLeague.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. What I'm about to share won't be announced by the Rugby League European Federation for another week or two, I'm told. Um, But at the recent RLEF Congress in Turkey last week, the beginning of a 10-year plan for European Rugby League was announced and outlined. And this sort of included a women's championship and wheelchair championship in 2023. But what they haven't announced yet is confirmation of a European championship every two years from 2020. Now, this is huge for me because... At the start of the year, we saw an eight-year plan or a similar eight-year plan announced for the Southern Hemisphere, so Oceania Cup and all that sort of thing. But Europe really missed out um, in this announcement, especially considering we have zero matches for England, France and Wales in 2019. But this is set to be rectified. And and Gav, I'm going to run through a few of the points that are are to be announced. So in 2020, we're going to see 17 nations in Europe compete across three divisions in the European Championship. So we'll have Division A, with six teams, Division B with six teams, and Division C with five teams. Now, Division A is going to include England, France, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and Italy. So essentially, it's a six nations of rugby league. Now, the tournament's going to include promotion and relegation. So one nation will go up and one nation will go down from each division every two years, which I think is fantastic. And there's going to be a cap on players used outside of each nation's domestic competition. And, and numbers are to be confirmed, but I'd assume it'll be similar to what's been going on in, in the qualifiers with like four four heritage players from Greece, for example. Mate, massive news for European Rugby League, probably the biggest that I've ever heard of. I think it's fantastic. What are your thoughts, mate, hearing that? Yeah, I think it's excellent. Um, I know that they, they've been working on a much shorter scale plan in in recent years because um it's been very hard to get the major nations to agree um i know that uh 
Australia, New Zealand, and England hold, uh, and, well, Australia in particular holds huge power over what happens in even That's in sure. Euro B, Euro C, <laughs> because there's a there's a trickle down effect the whole time. So I know that a lot of the delays, people get infuriated by the delays in, in international schedules being announced. And it's nearly always because the NRL are stopping a decision being made about something. Uh, yep. That's not hearsay. That's, you know, knowing from people who are, who are high up in those, org- in, in those organizations um, because it, it it's, uh, has a knock on effect. What Australia are doing has a knock on effect on everybody else. Um, True. I'm also cynical. <laughs> I'm Tell not me. cynical about Division B or Division C. I think all that will happen. Um, only cynical because a lot of these plans are, when you look back in, uh, over the years, there have been a lot of these uh, be announced and not actually happen. Uh, I, I think there's more chance of this happening than some of the others. But um, it's interesting to me, like Division A Nations 2020 includes England. Uh, I know that the European Championship, they desperately want England in there. Uh, but uh, England was supposed to be in the 2018 European Championships and weren't. Um, and in 2020, England are playing Australia. So, yeah, uh, Kangaroo Tour has been it, confirmed for 2020. Yeah. So, um, it, England, I, I know that the uh, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland didn't want to be playing against a team that was called England Knights because yep. it belittled uh, belittled might be the wrong word they, they basically didn't want to be trying to promote a game against a, an England B team yep. um, so the suggestion was that England would field uh, a, a second team but it would still be called England um, and England were in agreement with that but then France were going to be playing a full-strength England um, because it was going to be part of the warm-up games for uh, the England-New Zealand series. And France didn't want to play a full-strength England and be knocked out of the Euros (laughs) by uh, a full-strength England when the rest could play against the second string. So there needed some compromise and there was also a big financial question over the involvement of England. So uh, I I would love there to be uh, what they've planned and I really hope there will be, but there's obviously some, either either some compromises have already been made or there are discussions yet to have as to what England will look like. Um, It's, yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I do hope it's a full strength England, as you say, I know they'd probably shellac most of these sides, but I think it's important for, for future growth, for some of these, some of the, especially your Wales and your France, who really, with a little bit of nurturing and something to really aspire to, like a competition like this, and 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 up against the full strength England, then we, we need sides like that to really get closer to the big guns, especially as some some uh, southern hemisphere. We're going to see the likes of Tonga, Fiji, Papua New Guinea get closer to Australia and New Zealand. We really need to see that happening. Absolutely. We, we don't want, yeah. yeah, we don't want you guys to get left behind, is what I'm saying. I, I, I think, I think um, there's a real, there is a real danger of that at the moment because England have, you know, I think the RFL have, um, uh, I can't, I can't think of the of a word that would be that would be fair, but basically they've they've missed an opportunity to develop the other European nations. So they've spent all the time looking across to uh, 
the Southern Hemisphere for opposition and um, teams. They always say, oh, we need to find someone to play against that's about the right level for us. Um, and all the time, they could have been uh, investing in France, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Italy to bring them up to a higher level and give them some sort of competition. Well, that, um, that's exactly right. I think this year was a good example. I mean, England or, or RFL were worried about who was going to play the Great Britain Lions at the end of the year, and that was finally resolved, obviously. But really, they had France and Wales and sides like that sitting there sort of ready to go. And uh, it's kind of a shame, but I hope this all rectifies it. Uh, yeah, I think um, one, one, one of the... Um... One of the issues which I, they may have they may have overcome was the fact this year England don't have a, a mid-season test, yeah. Um, and the conversation was of oh, there's nobody to play, uh, but, but if if France were to bring a full strength team, um, and you, we haven't seen a full strength France for a long time, yeah. Um, but if, if England were to go to the to Toulouse or Perpignan and play a full strength France, that they have been very competitive games when that's happened. Um, and the uh, European Federation were discussing about trying to have a, uh, a European Championship that started in June, just like the Oceania Cup is going to do. Uh, so uh, England would play France in June and that would be the start of the Euros and then they'd finish it off in October, November. Yeah. Uh, and Like New Zealand are doing this time Um I can't remember who they're playing, but they're playing in June, aren't they, as part of the Ocean yeah, New Cup? Yeah, New Zealand are playing Tonga. And, and yeah. that's just an example. Like, it's a similar, I guess, New Zealand versus Tonga, or maybe not, maybe it's a little bit closer than England and France would be, but there's just so much passion in that game. And it's going to be played, I believe, in Auckland. Um, but I can tell you, the, the whole crowd will be wearing red and, yeah. and waving Tongan flags. It's absolutely incredible, and I'd just love to see that replicated over there. Exactly. I hope it gets up, and I hope we hear that announcement in a few weeks' time. But let, let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that exactly. it, does, it is going to happen. I love what the idea of promotion and relegation, by the way. How, uh, how good yeah, is it? <laughs> I think, I think that, well, I think it's vital. You know, we yeah. had, they have had it in a way um, from Euro C to Euro B, um, but it's, there's not been that final step to, to Euro A. So yeah. the fact that somebody out of France, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and Italy is going to get relegated is, yeah. is good. It puts it, it, you know, it makes them uh, raise their game. Well, all of a sudden, if you're Serbia or Malta or Greece, because these are the sorts of teams that are going to be in that Division B, yeah. then yeah. you then you're thinking, wow, I could be playing England and France in a, in a couple of years' time if we win this thing. So all of a sudden, it puts a it gives a massive dangles a massive carrot for some of those nations. But it also gives it also gives the it puts greater focus on the domestic competitions as well in places like Italy and Ireland and even Scotland, which you'd know quite a bit about, to to keep to I guess develop players and bring them up to this level and standard. Yeah, absolutely. It's the the quota. Uh, it's going to be interesting what they announce there because um, there are like some countries where the domestic game is vastly more advanced than it is in Scotland and Ireland. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Serbia have got far more going on than any of those other countries, uh, than, you know, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Italy. Um, Norway have, you know, you can, yeah. reel off, you can reel off a list of, of European countries where there's more rugby league being played than there are by some of the teams in, in Euro A. Um, 
So it is intriguing that there could be a shift over the next four or six years. Um, and also, I think it's a nice bit of public relations opportunity where rugby union here has got a lot of criticism for not relegating anyone from the Six Nations. Italy lose nearly every game every year and yeah. don't go down. Um, and that's Why become, is that? Uh, because in the, the the way it's organised is it's those six nations um, and uh, they're, they're fought against it. I think financially it makes sense for Italy to be in there because the next best team apparently are Georgia and oh. nobody really wants Georgia <laughs> in there, even though they deserve to be in there. Um, so it would be good for rugby league to say that we're doing, we're we're open to relegation from this top level as well. Well, it's that opportunity. We're seeing it here in the Pacific. Rugby Union are pretty much ignoring Pacific nations, obviously financial reasons. Yeah. And uh, Rugby rugby League are going to reap the benefits of that. Mate, I'm glad you um, – I was really excited about that, and I'm glad you had added a little bit of scepticism there. Not too much, but just a little bit, <laughs> just to just to it co- co-act against my, uh, my excitement because I'm pumped for it. I really hope it gets up. I can't wait to hear about it. I think it's going to be absolutely massive for Europe and uh, – can't wait. Actually, yeah, my my other <laughs> thought on that, I will keep to golden points because uh, done. I think, that I sounds think good. There's a, there's a spin-off <laughs> question about this. Yeah. Before we get to golden points, I've got one final topic for you. And look, I feel like we speak about on this show the Ameri- the new North American clubs every week, but I thought since we've got the author of No Helmets Required on the show, and you've had the greatest grasp of the opportunities that. In particular, the USA have had uh, to grow the sport of rugby league. So I really want, I'm really interested to get your broad thoughts on the potential for Ottawa in League One in 2020 and New York City in 2021. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting. The the two are quite different in that we've, yeah. we know we know quite a lot about New York. Um, they've been quite open about their plans and have been working on it for a couple of years. Ottawa's um, less well publicised. Um, the decision from the RFL last week that Ottawa, in broad terms, have been given the thumbs up and New York have been told to come back for 2021. Um, it, it's intriguing. They've, they've said that uh, Ottawa, is it's an easier transition because they've got various things in place already because they're mm. buying Hemel Stags's license. So yep. Hemel, Hemel Stags were, for those who don't know, they were an amateur club in Hertfordshire, so 150 miles away from most other clubs. Uh, but they had a great community um, base and they've got their own ground. And basically they've been a top amateur team and then they got into the semi-professional league one about five, six years ago, um, which was great. And then the, uh, the way league one was um, put together changed and in so much as four or five well-established professional clubs got relegated into league one. So it became a real imbalanced competition. Um, and Hemel were losing most weeks. Mm. And uh, to try and combat losing every week, they decided that they would base themselves up in the Rugby League heartlands and just come down and play home games. Yep. Uh, that didn't work. And uh, last year, they withdrew from the league for this season. 
Um, so last week, I think you said on the show that uh, <laughs> I was waiting for this one. Yeah, yeah that, that Ottawa <laughs> had a had a squad in in place because they were the Hemel boys. But um, the Hemel, the, just just for sort of information, really, the Hemel Stags yeah. team this year is back to being a locally based community amateur team playing yep. in the Southern Conference. So yes, they do have a team, but I would be pleasantly astonished if any of them ended up playing for Ottawa. Yeah, uh, because we're all assuming Ottawa are going to do a Toronto Wolfpack and sign championship players to play in League One so that they get promoted straight away. Um, I also think that's why New York are coming in a year later. I think to that, to put one strong team in one year, assuming they'll get promoted cause, uh, and then put the next team in the next year. Yeah. Uh, for them to get promoted, um, so that by 2022 they're they're all in, they're both in the championship. Uh, but it's it's also uh, perfect timing for you to mention know how much required because it's 66 years ago today. <laughs> today, today, <laughs> uh, we're recording this on the 27th of May. Yep. Um, that's 66 years ago that the American All Stars played their first ever game. So the first Americans to play rugby league as a team was uh, today in 1953. Uh, the first game of their tour of Australia, and they played uh, Southern Districts at uh, Canberra, Manuka Oval. Yeah. You know, have you, is that how you say yeah, it? Yeah, it's close enough. Uh, <laughs> Mancua, or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> and miraculously, miraculously, they won. 34-25 uh, with a generous referee uh, and three days later they played the famous game against Sydney at the SCG in front of 65,500 um, in which they uh, they got hammered by Sydney but that, that's the, the famous game that's really the, the centrepiece of of the tour and of the book no how much we love by. crowds like that right now let me tell you yeah <laughs> Hanging off the rafters, they were <laughs> literally, mate. Uh, I can't believe it's been to the day. Sixty, what do you say? 66, yeah. 66, 66, 66 years. Yeah, nineteen fifty-three. That's sixty-six I love, years. I'd love yeah. to say we planned it that way, but just a complete fluke. So that's that's <laughs> fantastic. So you reckon Hemel? So I, I was obviously wrong last week, suggesting that Hemel uh, would be able to, or, or Hemel players would be able to relocate to Ottawa. Um, obviously, that's not going to be the case. So likelihood of Ottawa happening in 2020 would surely be a little bit diminished. They they might even hold on another year. Do you think? Or I I, I think it will, I think it will happen actually yeah. next year um, because putting together a team of uh, League One or Championship players, I think if they've got the money, yeah. it, it will happen. Um, the season starts around March, I think, for League yep. One. Um, so if they're if if they're recruiting players now, which I assume they are on the quiet, yeah. um, then then it could happen. But they're intending to, um, I, I think I believe they're intending to be based over here and do what similar to what Toronto did. Um, that would certainly make it easier to to recruit a team because if you're based in in Yorkshire or Lancashire and then go over in blocks to play in Ottawa. It's a lot easier to attract the players than if they're trying to get them to move um, 
halfway across the world. So um, I, I would be confident that it will it will happen for 2020. What I was confused by was the RFL saying that they had other things, they had things in place, uh, the actual terminology, I can't remember the phrase they used, but I think all Ottawa actually had of Hemel's is a, a license, is a license yeah. to be a member of the RFL. That's yeah. what I'm hearing from, from quite a few people now. I'm actually hearing mixed reports, you know, some saying that um, they'll be based in Ottawa and they'll be looking to develop Canadian talent. Others saying that they'll be ba- they'll do a Toronto, you know, be based in in the UK and and buy their way to the top and then worry about development later. But it's going to be interesting to see. What I think happens. you have to do two at both at the same. You, you, you almost have to do both at the same time, wouldn't you? You can't. You couldn't put any Canadians straight into League One. Uh, well, you maybe one or two. Yeah who could play at that level, but um, it's going to take a few years to develop players to play at that standard, by which point, I guess, Ottawa hope they'll be in Super League. So um, it would be a, a complicated and twofold approach, I should think. So what are your thoughts about the about expansion in, in English Rugby League in general? Like, what can these clubs bring to the sport over there? And are you one of these that are that are hesitant to see what to see what happens, or are you all for it? I think everyone's hesitant given the hundred years of <laughs> history of failed failed expansion. Um, I I think there's a real obsession with expanding at professional level. Yep. That's not necessarily the best thing to do. I think going into a market where there's huge enthusiasm for professional teams, yep. like Toronto have done, has proved to be uh, to have potential to work. Um, in the past, in England, well, in Britain, we've put teams into markets that are already saturated. The sports space is filled. Yep. Um, you know, we, we, we've put teams into um, into South Wales, into uh, different, well, you could reel off all the different towns and cities in the country um, and expecting them to succeed when there's there's no roots there's no foundations and the sports space is already taken up everybody already you know into going into a town where there's already four professional sports clubs is not a wise decision in the uk but it seems that perhaps in north america with a big population and a huge appetite for professional sport it's doable so i think if we're going to expand expand wildly and ambitiously yeah. <laughs> go to Toronto, <laughs> New York, Ottawa, you know, don't, don't go to uh, Leicester or um, Sunderland or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but I think expansion can be done in many ways. And well, uh, give, give me some thoughts. Yeah. What, 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 well, I think, I think having, I, I would think the RFL's aim should be, and I've never heard them say this, but I think it should be that wherever you live in the UK, and they are the governing body for Great Britain, not just England, even though uh, they seem to have forgotten that, um, that they uh, should be aiming for any child in the country should be able to access a rugby league team within 30 minutes of their house. Yep. Um, You know, so there was a time about, uh, probably nearly 10 years ago now where they uh, were right to boast that there was a rugby league club in every county in, in England, which is about 50 different counties, uh, which was an amazing achievement. Uh, that 
a lot of those teams have gone now that there were amateur volunteer clubs. But I think everybody should be able to go and watch a game quite close to them. You know, I think that's a reasonable aim. Yeah. If you, you know, if, if uh, anywhere you live in England at the moment, there'll be a football team and a cricket team within five or ten minutes of your house. Uh, whatever whatever level that is, however lower level you go. Yeah. Um, and I think rugby league could could realistically aim uh, that there would be a club in every county again, and then you know, and then grow that number so that the game, the, the sport's accessible, and also getting it back on terrestrial TV. Um, you know, we only have uh, about six Challenge Cup games on free-to-air TV here. Uh, and then the internationals. So imagine the NRL was all on Fox yeah. and you didn't have any free-to-air, the, the impact that would have on the game's popularity in Australia. That's what we've had for 20 years now. We've um, Everything's been on Sky. So that, that restricts the sports potential hugely. And not even all the games are on Sky, are they? Isn't it like three a week or something like that? Or it's three, it's three a week. But we're used to that. Yeah. Um, even in, even the Premier League only has uh, four or five. So we're we're used to now having half our games live on TV. And I don't think that's not a problem here because because of travel distances. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, if every game was on TV, the attendances I think would would be affected by that. That's incredible to me because, yeah, we've got everything at our fingertips and it probably would, I, I don't know, it's hard to say, you know, would it affect, it probably does affect the crowds. Like I know I personally am probably less likely to go a game to a game because I can just watch it at home and it's it's comfortable and it's, it's easy. And, and, you know, the atmosphere for a rugby league game isn't always amazing like it might be over in the UK as well over here, but um, if they weren't all on TV over here, I think the game would probably lose a bit of popularity. You see sports like um, Rugby Union over here. They don't have a, a free-to-air deal, and it's right. dying. Uh, uh, the the yeah. A-League, you know, you don't you – don't, yeah. not all the games yeah. are on free-to-air. They, they get some good good games on uh, on Foxtel. Um, but, you know, it's, um, it is interesting. It's an interesting – Interesting thought, and I guess the next TV deal over there is is going to be huge. So you're, I guess you're, what you're saying is, you really want to see the RFL focus more on expanding the game in the UK, and not. Are you saying you know not so much overseas, or what? What's your? What what do you think we can do both? um, I think you can do both. You have to do everything, but also. Go with the pe- go with the people who want it yeah, as well. Yeah. So, so um, I did a lot of work with with Scotland Rugby League for years and years, yeah. and eventually you get to the stage where it, I, I think you have to have a um, a pause and stop and say, does do the people really want this? Yeah. Do the people want this sport? And if if Jamaicans are absolutely loving rugby league and it's taking off there, then let's put a lot of effort into Jamaica. Yeah. Um, if nobody in, I'm using Scotland as an example, yeah, yeah. but there are yeah. other countries I could use, but if, if no one's bothered or only a few dozen people in Scotland are bothered about it, 
let's forget about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's let let. And that's a, as a generalisation. You know, let's uh, let's push on open doors rather than ones that are bolted shut. You know. Yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting. I'm just trying to take it all in because it's an interesting. I don't get to speak to people every day from over there, so it's good to get that point of, your point of view, mate. And well, what do you think about Toronto? So would you you'd agree that's a success? Yeah, I think I don't think you could have asked for any more than than what they've done. Uh, I also think staying, get, losing the million pound game, the playoff final last year, um, the fact that it was to uh, to my club, London Broncos, <laughs> was just uh, a nice, a miraculous coincidence. <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's done them any harm to have two years in the championship um, and actually be brought down to earth and realise that you know they they can lose games, uh, and gives them a chance to to build. And I'd assume that they'll get promoted this season, but who knows? Yeah. They might lose in the playoffs again. Um, but for a club to go from nothing to getting crowds of seven, eight, even nine thousand, and the and the passionate support is different. I haven't been to a game yet, but I watch the home games in particular on TV. Yeah. Um, it's very different to what we have here and it's, it's brought some freshness and um, the positives far outweigh any negatives. I yeah, think. 100%. And I'm, I'm with you. I think, look, I think Ottawa, we could see the same sort of thing happen there. Hopefully New York as well. New York is big enough for, for something like that. But I'm kind of with you as well. Like I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Newcastle or a Coventry or, or you know, a stronger London side in the Super League yeah. as well. So. Well, well, it's just on that note, it's very interesting. The uh, Newcastle uh, are doing extremely well off the field. Yeah. Uh, they're growing gradually. Um, the crowds there are healthy compared to the rest of League One. Um, they are developing. There's a lot of local kids playing. Yeah. There's a team called Cramlington Rockets that have got hundreds and hundreds of players. Um uh, and a few other teams around there. So it's a really healthy region and that's exactly the sort of place when we talk about expansion yeah, and where yeah. efforts should be going. You know, the RFL need to carry on doing everything they can to to help um, Newcastle and the North East keep growing because they, they are a serious, there's serious potential that Newcastle could be a Super League club in between five and ten years' time, definitely. Well, I think we can. It could uh, happen. We can probably agree, and this will probably be a conversation for another day. But the Super League is going to look very different in ten years' time, in my yes. opinion. Uh, why don't we get into some golden points? What do you reckon? Okay, let's go for it. <laughs> All right, I might get us started, and uh, we'll just go one for one and just see how we go and where we end up. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, sounds good to me. All right, golden point. We'll start in the USA. So the USARL kicked off over the weekend uh, with matches in the Southern Conference. So the Lakeland Renegades, a new team, they went down to local rivals Tampa Mayhem. So Tampa won that 30-16. to 16. Last year's champions, Jacksonville, they beat the Southwest Florida Copperheads 42-14, to 14, and Atlanta had the bye uh, the Northern Conference kicks off this week and uh, this weekend, and uh, yeah, USA Rugby League is back. Excellent. That's that's uh, good to hear. There's some new teams in there as well. And how many how many teams in total? There's going to be five in the South, and there'll be six in the North this year. So there was going to be, I believe, seven, but the New York uh, Knights are no longer no longer part of it. Are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, 
I've my, mine's more a, a question for you with State of Origin <laughs> yep. happening this week. Um, what impact does State of Origin have on the rest of rugby league in Australia over the period of State of Origin? And and do you is do you think oh here we go Origin time everything else is undermined for the next few weeks or I or do the positives outweigh the negatives? Oh mate, it's a good question. It's something that gets discussed at this time of year every year. Uh no joke. And um look I think there's no doubt that Origin is Origin is such a great spectacle. Uh even if you're not a rugby league fan in Australia, you're watching State of Origin. Uh so it's it's absolutely massive for our sport. But I can't help but think that uh it does undermine the NRL while it's on. So this weekend, for example, we've got half a round. We've only got four matches this weekend and pretty much all of the teams playing will be playing with depleted squads due to their best players playing origin or in that it being in that origin camp. So you got, you're going to notice this weekend in the NRL that the crowds will be a little bit lower, that the viewership will be a little bit lower and the quality of, of rugby league will be a little bit lower than it normally is, especially a side like Canberra, for example, they're going to be playing without guys like Nick Kotrick, and they've already got a few players out injured as well. So it's going to be tough for them. But, but they've got half the England team, so they'll be okay. <laughs> Well, a couple of those guys are injured too. So, you know, <laughs> you know there's going to be trouble. But look, I think, um, I think in a perfect world, and this is something that gets mentioned quite a bit, but in a perfect world, we'd see less NRL rounds, which accommodate for standalone origin rounds and uh, a little bit more international rugby league. I've heard uh, Peter Beattie, so chairman of the ARLC, on uh, Ladies Who League, on, on the Ladies Who League podcast with Mary Kay last week. And he sort of, she threw that question at him and he said, look, there's probably no chance that the NRL are going to cut round. So it doesn't look like, it doesn't look like a, a, an answer that we're going to get in the near future. But um, look, I, to, for me, um, I'm one of these people that think playing for your country is the pinnacle. So, you know, I, I'd rather see things the other way around. But there is no doubt Origin has a key place for rugby league in Australia, and uh, yeah, I just wish that it didn't it didn't hurt the NRL uh, went while it was on. That's for sure. So good question, man. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I hope I've answered it. Uh, yeah, you have. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> uh, golden point. I'm going to move over to Wales and Italy. So uh, the West Wales Raiders and the Saluzzo Northwest Roosters from the Italian Rugby League have announced a new partnership that will see the clubs support each other and collaborate in marketing and management. Uh, it's going to open up some new sponsorship avenues and provide exchange opportunities for the coaches, players and administrators. So we've already seen Italian international and former rooster, Jolie Celerino. He's signed on for the Welsh club. And over the coming weeks, the Saluzzo coach, uh, Elio Giacomo, who listens to this podcast, he's going to visit the Raiders to learn and work closely with uh, West Wales coach, Kim Williams, uh, over there at the Raiders. So pretty awesome stuff there for those two clubs. Yeah, that's excellent. I think uh, it's so logical that Italian teams should be uh, linked in with the French and the English and, and Welsh clubs. Yeah. Um, at the moment, all the links are with Australia, which the practicalities that make it very difficult <laughs> for that to work. So that, that makes sense. Um, my golden point would be uh, about the domestic quotas that uh, for the for the Euro A, B and C. Oh, yeah. Um, not been confirmed yet, as you as you said, but at the moment in the uh, the Norway um, and and Malta, uh, sorry, Norway and Greece uh, could only play four non-domestic players because they were a Euro C. Um, they're then going to play in the World Cup qualifiers, where the rules are completely different, and they will have to play four 
domestic players in the 17. Um, so a complete switch around. Yeah. And then when it comes to the World Cup at the moment, there are no quotas. So they wouldn't have to play any domestic players. So it really raises a question of, do we need to see some more um, uh, parity between domestic quotas through competitions um, and uh, have, have we got the domestic quotas right in, the, in so much as you could have some domestic players get you through to a qualifying stage um, and then when the level steps up most of them may not be picked uh, is that right is that just getting players to the level they need to be to, to compete it's a, an interesting question. It's a good question. I didn't know those figures or exactly those figures. So that's a really, really good insight and good question. I guess off the top of my head, the hard part is if you've got domestic players at an amateur level and all of a sudden they're playing against, you know, a side that is stacked with NRL players at a professional level, then um, injuries and things like that can really start to come into play. So I guess there'd be issues in that regard. But I do think there needs yeah. to be a little bit more... Fluid, fluidity, uh, fluidity, sorry. And um, yeah, it's an interesting question and hopefully one that gets rectified or talked about more in the near future. Thanks for that. Um, my golden point, my next one over to South America. So this year's South American Cup will take place in Colombia this December. So we're going to see Colombia, Chile, Brazil, Argentina and Mexico field sides, as well as a combined team from Ecuador, Puerto Rico, Panama and Venezuela. So this is going to be the largest South American Cup ever. Uh, and Brazil are the current cup holders. They'll be confident. But Chile, who won the cup in 2017, they missed out last year because they were taking part in the America's Championship, trying to qualify for a World Cup. They'll have something to say about that for sure. Excellent. Yeah, that's a, well, and hopefully each of those will, uh, or some of those will end up having their own national teams and will expand from that. I know from Latin Heat has been the, the route for several South American teams to establish in their own right. So sounds like there's real potential there. It's all happening. Yeah, it'll be good to see more of those nations take part in the the America's Cups and America's Nines tournaments in the future, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, one from me, From as I'm basically in London, um, <laughs> we have a, a very intriguing uh, potential scenario developing. Okay. In that Lon London Broncos were perhaps unfortunate to lose their magic game to Leeds yeah, close one. yesterday. Yeah, um, very frustrating and exciting game. They lost by two points. Uh, they're bottom of the league and London Scholars uh, yeah. uh, were joint top of the league with Whitehaven yeah. until yesterday when they lost away to Whitehaven. But we have the possibility that the Broncos will get relegated to the championship and the Scholars will get promoted to the Championship. And we could have a London derby, uh, Broncos against the Scholars, next year in the Championship for the first time ever. You'd be torn, mate. Um, Who would you support in that? In that? I would be. Oh, <laughs> oh don't, don't ask. Um, <laughs> but what, what would be fascinating would be to see um, which club continues on that trajectory, um, given that Toronto Wolfpack have bought a major share of uh, London scholars. Um, and I know that the Wolfpack ownership are extremely interested in making the scholars London's number one club. Well, it's um, watching from afar. That's exactly how it looks from my point of view. And I wouldn't be surprised if 
in a decade to come, the Scholars and the Broncos have pretty much switched roles because um, Scholars are doing well to be coming second in that League One. I don't think anyone expected them to be doing this well at this stage. No, they didn't. Yeah, no. definitely. A golden point. Um, I'm going to go over to the Netherlands. Uh, so round two of the Dutch Rugby League took place over the weekend and I had some insights from uh, – friend of mine, Billy Forrester, from the Welsh Rugby League, who um, who played over there with the Den, Den Haag Knights side. So there were, there were meant to be two games played for round two. So the Amsterdam Cobras, 44, defeated the Hudderwick Dolphins, 22. So an absolute shellacking there. And the Dolphins getting off to, to a, a win after losing their first round match. But the Den Haag Knights, they ended up defeating the Rotterdam Pitbulls, uh, who forfeited their match. Uh, Rotterdam didn't get enough players to the, to the game. Uh, there was apparently a big rugby union event on, which uh, which is really unfortunate to hear that sort of thing happening. But they'll be sitting, missing some players. So a nines match was played instead. Uh, next round, we're going to see the undefeated Den Haag side take on the Amsterdam Cobras in what could be a big grand final preview. And I just wanted to mention all of the sides there in, in the Dutch Rugby League because in the past I have spoken mostly about the Amsterdam Cobras. They're a club that reached out to me very early on. Uh, in stages of this podcast, and I'm a supporter of theirs for that reason, but I, I want to be fair to all of the sides over in the Netherlands as well, and uh, plenty of good things happening over there, and Den Haag undefeated, so well done to those guys. Excellent. Uh, I'm in Holland with work in the summer, so maybe catch a game. Maybe catch one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've only got two left. Go so, for it. Yeah. yeah, go for it. Um, Interesting development here in the last week that um, Sky Sports have been having some uh, female pundits for the first time. Okay. So uh, we've had uh, Jodie Cunningham, who plays for St. Helens, and Louis uh, Fossell, who plays for Leeds, um, being part of the commentary teams and presentation teams at games, and I think inspired probably by the NRL coverage on Fox. Yep. Um, And I think a, a really positive move and a big step forward that um, they've found some some voices that that work and they've they've been as good as the men straight away um, and have been a really uh, really a positive step forward to have them in, involved that's good uh, that's good and, to hear yeah I've seen a little bit of Jody uh kind of yeah before and she's um yeah. yeah she knows her she knows her rugby league she's very well spoken she's very eloquent yeah. yeah very eloquent yeah that's fantastic she gets support. She, and I, I think they've done so well that jody in particular will see if it's anything like football coverage here where there's been a couple of female pundits who suddenly are on everything and doing doing every t- every show going uh jody will get um plenty of opportunity to expand uh, role, I think. Fantastic. Well, speaking of women in rugby league, so we spoke last week about um, about Turkey beating Italy, and there's been some more news over in that part of the world. So uh, there's going to be a match announced. It's been announced recently. Serbia will face Italy in a women's match, uh, which will take place and be held prior to the Balkan Super League match between Red Star Belgrade and the Lignano Sharks. So Serbia versus Italy in women's rugby league. Um, it's, it's growing all over the place, it would seem. Yeah, that's fantastic. The uh, the number of countries that have got women's games that have started almost from nothing yeah. uh, put some of the more established nations to shame, really. Definitely. <laughs> um, the last one I've got is all is more a question again. Okay. Uh, so we have state of origin. Do we have any of the other Australian states actually playing representative games? Um, if so, what's what's the format? And do you foresee a time when... Uh, there will be other states playing 
in a secondary competition underneath uh, New South Wales and Queensland? That's a really good question. Um, there aren't other states playing representative games. I think there's affiliate state sides in, in lower divi- or lower levels of rugby league over here. Um, there are juniors that have come through from Victoria, but not many. Uh, there are juniors playing over in WA. So there, there is a, a Perth Pirates or a Western Australian Pirates team that plays in junior levels of the New South Wales Cup, similar to what the PNG Hunters do in Queensland Cup yeah. um, and what Fiji will be doing in the Canterbury Cup next year. So there are, there are pockets of junior development happening in particular in Victoria and Western Australia. As for your second part of that question, I think this is going to be the real, the real turning point for State of Origin because I can't see State of Origin being as successful as it is currently when you start uh, including other states. I just think it's a different, the whole format, the whole three-game series, the whole, this intense rivalry that we have between New South Wales and Queensland, I'm not sure I can see it working in, in the future. And I think that's what has held up development of rugby league in other areas in Australia. I think it's what's held us back from really expanding beyond those, those heartland borders. Um, I think it's been a real issue. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure the NRL knows what they would do or what they can do in this situation. It's a really good question. It's one that I've been sort of trying to wrap my head around for at least 10, 15 years, to be honest with you, mate. Great. It's uh, (laughs) yeah. So we're more likely to see, uh, if if somebody from Melbourne becomes uh, an elite player, would they be um, somehow squeezed into one of the other one of the other two teams, or, um, or would they just never get to play Origin? That's the question. That's where we have to say, okay, is rugby league is the pinnacle of rugby league really state of origin when you've got this absolute weapon who's born in Melbourne who can't play who can't play in origin. And we start, we get that question a little bit now when you look at a guy like Sam Burgess who can't play, who can't play state of origin. And you think, well, you know, if this is the pinnacle, why is, you know, why is our, one of our, the best forwards in the game not able to play? So the question it's not is, the pinnacle. The World exactly, Cup final exactly. was the pinnacle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he and played those, in it. <laughs> <laughs> those questions are, are starting to be asked by more and more people. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's the issue that the NRL is going to have because all of a sudden, um, their biggest their biggest carrot in terms of dollars uh, might not be their biggest carrot. And that's why I guess you're starting to see a real emphasis on Oceania Cup and things like that because um, yeah. slowly the tables will turn. I'm very confident of that. It's a really good question, man. I'm going to go uh, just quickly. So I want to mention that uh, the Japanese National Cup kicked off last week. So the Tokyo Shinjuku Giants, they sh- absolutely shellacked the South Ikaburu Rabideau, 74 to nil. Uh, I don't know much about the Japanese uh, rugby league, but this year the cup includes five teams. So the two that I've mentioned and the Kansai Kaminari side, the West Mix side and Japan's oldest club, the Tokyo Warriors. So I'm going to do a little bit of digging over the next couple of weeks and see what I can put up on our social media channels about Japanese rugby league because very interested to hear all about it. I have a couple more, but I'm just going to go one more golden point uh, for you because I know this has been a long episode. So I'm going to go over to Wales uh, and this is more of a more of a plug for us, but a massive shout out to the Welsh Mighty Ducks, uh, who announced that their media partners and kit sponsors for the London Nines this year will be us, the Chasing Kangaroos <laughs> podcast. So uh, Billy Forrester and the crew 
they're working very hard to grow the sport in North Wales and we're honoured to be a part of their journey towards the London Nines at the end of the year. So I think uh, that's a very fitting golden point to end up on this week, mate. But, Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Gavin, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. I think it's been one of our longest episodes, but I've I've just been intrigued from start to finish. I just looked down at uh, the recording time and thought, Jesus, I can't believe it's been that long. You've been it's been a pleasure speaking to you, mate. Can you let the listeners know where they can find you, how they can interact with you? Absolutely. How they can purchase your book. Yeah, okay. So uh I'm my blog, No Helmets Required, is on the Guardian website. So if you go on the Guardian and go into the rugby league section, um yep. you'll find that there. Uh I'm uh at no helmets req so no, if you start to type in no helmets required on twitter i'm there uh, <laughs> yep. on facebook no helmets required page so there's there's videos and clips and pictures on there and pr- profiles of the american all-stars players um, and to buy the book no helmets required the story of the american all-stars tour of australia new zealand and france and what went on before during and after which was quite a lot um if you're listening to this program it's almost certainly uh, up your street so, 100%. yeah get a <laughs> get a copy online there on amazon um and they are also um in australia you can get it in oh now then you're gonna have to edit this bit out because i can't remember the name of it. <laughs> what's the okay. what's the cha- what's the chain store called um bookstore that's there's a whole chain of them is it dimmicks yes it yes. is available at dimmicks oh, it's, 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 it's probably it's probably the only book, chain bookstore chain yes. left so the I name that that sorry <laughs> it's, no it's definitely dimmicks the name went from my head sorry that's okay is it available on mascord browns by any chance and signed copies are available on mascord browns Okay, good time to say Mascot Brown's affiliate sponsors of the show. You can get your signed copy of No Helmets Required by Gavin Willisey. Uh, and if you use the discount code Kangaroo Court at checkout, you get 10% off as well. Mascotbrowns.com and mascotbrowns.com.au. Gavin, I'm glad I got to sneak that one in at the end. I wasn't sure when I was going to do it. But, mate, thank you for such an incredible conversation. Uh, I hope to chat to you again uh, later on down the track and I'm sure we'll be in touch on Twitter and Facebook and all those sorts of things as well but mate thank you so much for being a co-host of Chasing Kangaroos Absolute pleasure Michael thank you <laughs>